0: Well, I want to thank all of you that watch us online every week for joining us, and I want to thank you especially here at this service for coming to a new thing, for uh, blessing the church by helping us make room, and we have now room. We have room for more people to come and see what God is doing here. And trust me, in a few months, this will be the largest service at our church. So, thank you for being the pioneers and setting the pace and. Please don't enjoy the space, but be praying that the space gets filled and you get crowded again because that's the ultimate goal. Now, I am about to prove what you already suspected, and that is I am a nerd, okay? And here's how I'm going to prove it there are basically two kinds of people in the world it's not Democrats and Republicans, it's not capitalist and communist, it's not dog lovers and cat lovers. It's not even New York Yankee baseball fans and followers of God. The two (laughs) basic kinds of people in the world are Trekkies and non-Trekkies. And I'm a Trekkie. Now, I didn't really watch the show when it first came out. I was too young. But when I was in college, I got hooked on Star Trek. In fact, I lived in a house with five other guys. And we would turn the TV on in one room, have uh, supper in the other room, and have a contest who could recognize which episode it was the soonest? And it never took more than one to two minutes before one of us knew. And whether or not you are a Trekkie, you have to admit, Star Trek began with maybe the greatest all-time introduction for a TV series. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Star Trek Enterprise. It's five-year mission. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. And then the line I love the most. To boldly go where no man has gone before. And the reason that always resonated with me was because I want to give my life to some mission that's bigger than me. I want to give my life to something that demanded something of me. I I want to be a part of something that required boldness to be accomplished. Because when boldness is unleashed, it always unleashes questions and wonder about where it came from. You may have heard the true story about the teenager in New York City. He got off the bus, he's walking to his father's apartment, and two guys walk up to him, pull out a gun and demand his wallet, and he said no. They point the gun at his head and say, give us your wallet. He says, no, you can't have it, and they left, and the authority said to him later, why didn't you give them your wallet? He said, my learner's permit was in it, okay, so boldness always has an explanation. Because since the fall, man has lived in the tyranny of timidity. We inherited it from our grandfather Adam. The very first human emotion recorded after man turned his back on God was fear. And we've battled fear ever since. And so you have a man like Peter. Who has pledged he would die for Jesus. But all it took during Jesus' arrest was one young girl asking if Peter was Jesus' friend. For Peter to turn his back in fear and deny his master. But then we read the first chapters of Acts. And this guy, who looks like he was not ready for a big mission, is now not afraid. And that was never more evident than his day in court. Now, we're going to read primarily from chapter 4 today, but we need to know what happened in chapter 3. So Peter and John are on their way to the temple for afternoon prayers. Now, in that world, since there was no government safety net, if you were Poor, if you were an invalid, you depended on people's charity. So the thought would be people on their way to church might be more inclined to mercy. So on the way to the temple and at the gate, they would put these people that would beg. Now there's a man there, he's about 40 years old. He's been lame most of his life. He has become part of the scenery. People have taught themselves not to see him anymore. As he shouts and bests for money. But this particular day, Peter sees him. And Peter says to him, I don't have money, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And this man doesn't just get up feebly and hold on to their arm and try to learn how to walk. He begins to leap and to jump and to dance. And he goes into the temple with them. And immediately people spot him because... They have walked past him for years, and they all run up, and so Peter says, I got a crowd, so I might as well preach. Now, now, by the way, a little side note. This just goes to show you what life is like when you live in the flow of the Spirit of God. Because Peter did not have on his day timer, heal a lame man today. He did not have down on his schedule, preach a sermon this afternoon in the temple. But when you just live in the flow of the Spirit of God, God is constantly giving you things you didn't know when you got out of bed that morning you were going to get to do. And so Peter walks into this open door and he begins to preach. And his sermon was, it's not my power, it's not my intellect or capability. This man is walking because of the power of the name of Jesus whom you crucified. But the fact that he can dance now is proof. That Jesus is raised from the dead. Now that's where we pick up the story in chapter 4. So look at it with me. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John. While they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people. Proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening... They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. See, I love the fact that you can jail the messenger, but you cannot chain the message. And the church is exploding. So the next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law sent uh, and met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. As was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, others of the high priest family. Why does Luke want you to know this? These are the names that Jesus stood before. These are the powers that murdered the Messiah. It's the same court that executed their master they are standing before. So they had Peter and John brought before them. began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? And then Peter. Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame. You see the irony? He said, come on guys, what's this really about? You're mad because I healed a lame guy? You know that's not the real problem, don't you? So he says, then know this. You and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified. But whom God raised from the dead. That this man stands before you healed. And now he's going to quote scripture to the Bible scholars. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. Which has become the cornerstone. And then he just goes completely for the goal line. Because remember. They thought they were going to put Peter on the defensive. Peter goes on the offensive. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John. And realized that they were unschooled ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, they're completely baffled because they are skilled in the art of intimidation. That's what they do. They rule by power. They rule by the force of threat. And they are used to intimidating the nobodies. Now, here are these two nobodies, and they're not scared. And the leaders are astonished. They don't know what to do. They tried to chain their bodies but that didn't change their impact. And so they decide to chain their tongues. So it says, verse 18, They called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Now this is a first. It's never happened before. The first time a government has said it is against the law to publicly talk about Jesus. There are still governments today that do that. This is the beginning of Christian civil disobedience. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. And Peter doesn't know what's going to happen when he says that. This could be his last day to live. Because courage costs. But silence can be cowardice. And Daya wrote to Reader's Digest a few years ago. She had the flu. We've all been there several days, just sick, and she can't eat anything. The only redeeming thing was she got out of bed a few days later, grabbed some pants, and with excitement she said to her husband, These jeans fit, honey. These jeans finally fit. And with kindness and caution he said, Yes, honey, but those are my jeans. Because sometimes you know if you speak the truth, there could be a price. But they disobeyed the command of the court. Because they had to obey the command of a higher court. And all through Acts, you see this kind of boldness unleashed. Stephen is going to be bold like this. It's going to cost him his life. Paul is going to be bold. Bold like this. It's going to get him arrested, thrown in prison and beaten. Look how the very last verse of Acts reads. Paul says, proclaim the kingdom of God. And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So this theme runs all through Acts and Luke wants you to know that they really did in one generation obey Jesus and take the gospel to the ends of the earth and there they are in the capital of the empire and they are living with boldness because this mission is so big you can't complete it unless you go boldly. Now how come they could so boldly go i'm going to give you four clues four things that fill your courage tank okay i'm going to read four verses and in each verse there's going to be a little phrase i've highlighted i want you to write down here's the first clue verse 13 the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of peter and john for they could see they were ordinary men no special training in the scriptures and they also recognized them as men who had write this down been with jesus Because boldness is not the result of a degree. You don't become bold because you went to a seminary. Boldness is the result of discipleship. It's not a case of what has gotten into Peter. It's a case of who has gotten into Peter. Courage is the byproduct of spending time with the risen Christ. And being filled with his spirit. I believe in so many places the church is leashed, not because most believers are living secretly sinful lives so much as we are living secretly Christian lives. And the presence of our timidity is evidence of the absence of our intimacy with Jesus. So I ask you, in what intentional and specific ways have you been with Jesus recently? That's the whole reason I launched the Million Chapter Challenge. It's not so that we can prove that we can reach a number goal. Our church wants to make and grow followers of Jesus. And to follow Jesus, you've got to spend time with Jesus. You've got to soak in His Word. You've got to get filled with His Spirit. And we started so strong. Man, we were reading 20,000 chapters a week, which is what it's going to take. The last two weeks, we've tapered off. And I knew that was going to happen. Not because we're bad people. But because we're busy people. And I've got to be here, and I've got to be there, and I've got to be with that person, and I've got to be with this person... And today, I don't think I have time to be with Jesus. And the consequence of squeezing out being with Jesus is a slow, subtle leak in our courage tank. The presence of God is the only path to the absence of fear that's why the hebrew writer would say for god has said i will never leave you i will never abandon you let us be bold then and say the lord is my helper i will not be afraid people are full of courage because they are full of the spirit of christ let me give you a second clue In verse 12, it says, Jesus is, write this down, the only one who can save people. No one else in the world is able to save us. Now, you talk about contempt of court. That was a bold statement then, and it's a bold statement today. But think about it. Why would they stand before tribunals and get arrested and get beaten? have their property stolen, lose their jobs, and even be killed if one faith was just as good as anybody else's faith. Because if every road goes to heaven, I'm not dying for Jesus. Now, see, this is just a concept to us. We're in a culture where we think persecution is somebody made fun of us at school. But do you understand we have brothers and sisters around the world who have to decide every day do I believe Jesus is worth dying for? And just last week we saw a picture of 21 men in orange suits and they were given the choice recant your faith in Jesus and you can live. And in that moment You do decide, do I believe Jesus is the one and only name or not? They're not arresting Christians for doing kind things. They arrest Christians for what we say about the name in which we do those kind things. So in Acts 3, Peter says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man Whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name. And the faith that comes through Him that has completely healed Him as you can now see. So what's the point? Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Do you want your sins wiped out? Then you need to turn to the name of Jesus. And that word he used for wiped out is a powerful word. You know how on a piece of paper you erase something or you mark through something... Well, it's a word for when you take something and you erase it so much it looks like a brand new page. There is absolutely no evidence that what was erased was ever there. And Peter knows there is only one eraser that can completely remove the stain of sin. And it's the blood of Jesus. And so he must speak this. And he's not alone. He's got company. I love chapter 3 verse 8. It's a third clue. That man that says leaping and praising God. Went into the temple with him. He'd never been able to go in the temple before. You can't go into the temple if you're paralyzed and invalid. But the power of the name of Jesus has made things possible for him. That have never been possible before. And so as he goes in. He lets his praise out. He is Going to talk about the Christ that made him able to walk. Because here's the thing. You can't chain the person who's been released by the power of Jesus. Now, you can throw him in prison. But you cannot chain the person who's been released by the power of Jesus. And so, one of my favorite stories I've told before. William Barclay says there was this man in England. He was an alcoholic. His family suffered the consequence of his addiction because he never had money for them. They didn't even have furniture in the house because he spent his whole paycheck every week on booze. He comes to Christ, and he becomes a better man. He breaks free from his addiction. He starts to take care of his family. And with that freedom came the mocking of his co-workers. Who ridiculed his new faith? They said, You believe all those silly stories in the Bible? You really think Jesus turned water into wine? This guy's new in the faith. He says, I don't know if Jesus turned water into wine. I do know at my house he turned beer into furniture. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. You heard me say there are two kinds of people in the world, there's two kinds of Christians in the church. I call them the sleepers and the leapers. Now, you know the sleepers. Christianity's become a routine. It's one more thing they squeeze onto a crowded plate. They know how to do the whole believer thing in such a way that their life never really gets profounded. And you can live by them, work by them, play with them for years and not even know. And then there are the leapers. And the leapers will not be contained. And you're around the leapers and not long you're going to find out, yeah, Jesus has changed my life. Yeah, Jesus saved my marriage. Yeah, Jesus helped me break free from my addiction. Yeah, Jesus turned me into the kind of father my kids need. Now, here's the truth. Do you want to keep your courage tank filled? Hang out with leapers instead of sleepers. Hang out with people that refuse to keep what Jesus is doing in their life a secret. You see, what's that court going to do? I mean, they can look at Peter and they can speak to Peter with the power of a mandate. But Peter is standing next to the power of a miracle. It says, verse 14, they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them. And there was nothing they could say. And those kind of bold miracles are right here in this room. There are leapers in this church. And if you spend time with them, and if you talk Jesus with them, your courage tank will get filled. And Peter would say, and all those incredible stories you're hearing, you ain't seen nothing yet. Here's the biggest reason they were so bold. It says in verse 2, they were annoyed because the two apostles were teaching the people that Jesus had risen from death, which proved that the dead will rise to life. And the courage tank was full because they believed the tomb of Jesus was empty. And Peter is preaching what God did for Jesus. He is going to do for all of us. See, here's the thing. You do not fear an enemy when his best weapon has been neutralized. And it says in the Bible that the devil kept all of us in fear. Fear of death. We had no answer for the grave. And Jesus came and he destroyed that fear. He conquered the grave. The very first words of Jesus after his resurrection were, Do not be afraid. We don't have to live in fear, people. We are resurrection people. And this doesn't mean we're going to have a life with no problems and no pain or even no persecution. Here's what it means. It means our sufferings will be redemptive. It means our struggles can be purposeful. It means our sacrifices will be rewarded. The resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus always gets the last word. And it was that confidence... That unleashed a mission that would not be intimidated. Paul put it this way. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And bold discipleship only bows to one throne. So it says in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. And they reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they prayed what I think might be the most amazing, challenging, courageous prayer in the Bible. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They did not whine. They did not complain. They did not get on Facebook and rant about the government. They did not ask God to take away all their problems. They did ask God to take away the temptation be timid they weren't asking for comfort but for courage they didn't ask for deliverance they asked for delivery of more power and more boldness to do more of what got them in trouble in the first place they knew if they keep up what they're doing it's going to get worse and they said fill us up God and bring it on Now, I've got to be honest. When I look back over my prayer life, I think I pray a lot more for comfort than for courage. God, fix this, make that go away, straighten them out, and get rid of my problems. What if, instead of asking God to make our lives easier, We started asking God to make our faith bolder. To make our love stronger. To make our testimony louder. To make our discipleship braver. Well that might make life uncomfortable. But the good news is God has a comforter. And so it says in verse 31 that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Maybe we need to unleash a different kind of prayer. Erwin McManus is a pastor in Los Angeles. He said some years ago he sent his eight year old son, Aaron, to a Christian camp in the summer. And when Aaron came back, he seemed a little strange. In fact, when it was bedtime, he was very frightened and asked his daddy not to leave the room. And Erwin assumed that maybe at camp they had told ghost stories. Well, they had not told ghost stories, they had told demon stories. And now his little boy was afraid. And what's Erwin supposed to do? Is he going to lie and say, hey, Aaron, you don't have to believe in demons. They're not real. Is he going to tell the truth and say, Aaron, demons are real. Satan's the prince of the world. They're probably watching us right now. Little Aaron says, Daddy, please pray to God that I'll be safe. But you see, Aaron doesn't want safety to be his son's number one virtue or value. And so he did something brilliant. He said, Aaron, I will not pray. That God will make you safe. But I will pray. That God will make you dangerous. So dangerous. That when you walk into a room. The demons get scared. And want to leave. And he said oh daddy. Pray that I will be dangerous. Maybe we need to unleash. A better prayer. So would you bow your heads with me? And I just want you to ask a question. Where do you face fear the most? Is it your finances? It's just hard to trust God. Is it your purity? Is it your witness? Sharing your faith with people? Is it that secret sin that you have covered up and are afraid to confess? Where do we face fear the most? Here's what they did in the early church. When they faced fear, they asked for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you do that right now? Oh, God, make us more dangerous for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's all stand up. we got some prayer teams that are going to be taking their places right now. And here's the thing. For many of you, the first step to conquering that fear is going to be confession. It's going to be telling somebody. It's going to be asking for support and for prayer. And I know someone's listening to me right now. And what you're afraid of is giving your life to Christ. And the enemy is trying to keep you from that step. And today is the day to break that bondage and to step out and say, there is no other name. I'm claiming Jesus right now. It is a time to be brave. It is a time to be bold. It is a time to say, I'm not leaving like the person who came. I'm leaving more courageous. This is your moment. Come right now.